What's up, everybody? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I have another compilation episode that I'm really excited about because lately I've been talking a lot about joint health, injuries that prevent you from being consistent in the gym day in, day out to finally see weight loss, fat loss, or any kind of performance goal. And these three episodes in particular I wanted to bring together all have the same topic of how to blank uh, and not fuck up your shit. Um, So we have how to deadlift, how to squat, and how to press without fucking up your shit. And those three things in particular always pop up when I take on a new client, when I talk to people. And those three in particular require a lot of prerequisites when it comes to movement. And it's no like surprise or shocker when I start chatting with people and they're like, yeah, my shoulder hurts when I press overhead. And I just start asking about their history and, you know, they say, oh, I actually, you know, dislocated my shoulder previously and never really took care of it. And it's like, well, you're expecting your shoulder to be 100% again? Like, come on. Or I take them through an assessment and they can barely move their shoulder through active range um, range of motion. And then, again, they're surprised that it hurts every time they do a barbell shoulder press, right? It's like the little things that go a long way, but for some reason, there's a disconnect of understanding of how the body works and how biomechanics work. And it's really frustrating for me where I start seeing all these people that have been either led in the wrong direction or haven't been fed good information on how to problem solve and troubleshoot And if you think about it, every single body in this entire world is unique. Everyone has different anatomical differences. Everyone's a different height. Everyone is structured differently. Your pelvis is different than my pelvis. Your right hip socket is different than my right hip socket. And that all influences how well you're going to perform certain exercises like squats, deadlifts, pressing, pulling, everything. But if you are in a class setting, following an Instagram workout or a YouTube workout, it may or may not be the thing that's actually helping you. It may be the thing that's causing you more harm. And this is why people need to hire a professional or talk to somebody and get some ideas of what you can do. Because if you are constantly hitting a plateau, a wall, and you can't see progress, it's most likely because of these three things in these three episodes. So hopefully these will kind of guide you in the right direction. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm going to stop rambling and let's get right into it. What's up, my podcast listeners? I am pumped to bring you another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I am your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and today we are going to be chatting about deadlifts because I feel like the deadlift is one of those exercises that no matter how much education is out there on it, people tend to still fuck their shit up. So, um, interesting enough, I put on a deadlift seminar with the chiropractor I work with probably a year and a half, two years ago, And it's surprising to me how many people that attended have all done the deadlift, but I would say 90% have experienced some sort of pain, some sort of 
issue with it, might I say. And it all comes down with what you're kind of given um, anatomically and as well as like, do you have the prerequisites to do it? And do you have the um, kind of cues and in your brain of what you need to do to one, mentally prep for it and physically prep for a movement like the deadlift rather than just going like all willy-nilly and like I'm going to lift this barbell off the ground and hope for the best. And in my experience with patients in the clinic coming to me that are active, that go to classes, that work out, that train with the trainer and, you know, they have low back pain or whatever, hip pain, whatever it may be. And when we get to the point of like, all right, let's look at your deadlift. The first question I always give is I ask um, the person like, hey, what's your bracing strategy for the deadlift? And they kind of just look at me like, what the fuck language did you just speak? And right away, I know that, okay, that's probably one of the major issues of why the deadlift is not cooperating with your body. Now, a lot of times without getting into the nitty gritty of like, your hip internal rotation is this and you don't have adequate that, a lot of times people just don't know how to do the exercise and execute it properly. And building these like, I call them movement behaviors of shitty form over time leads to painful joints and leads to issues and all it comes down to is just a little bit of you know extra coaching a little extra time figuring out what you need to work on and it blows my mind that people always skip these steps that are so necessary for success so what i mean about the bracing strategy is like i kind of look at your shoulder complex and hip complex as these two pillars of foundational strength and just foundation of your body. When those two pillars don't work together, bad shit tends to happen. So I will take a patient that has low back pain with the deadlift or just low back pain in general and cue them for 10 minutes of all these different things I want them to think of during their deadlift, every single time they're like, holy shit, that felt so different. Holy shit, I can't believe I never did this before. And it's all about creating kind of like tension or irradiation in your body. So I always use the word irradiation in my kin stretch classes because I want people to generate as much tension in their body to attack the specific tissue that we're trying to get at. And now you can use the same concept. And you know, Dr. Charlie Weingroff has said this so many times of this concept of joint centration. If the joint is put into a position where it's most stable and the most strong um, that it can be, then most likely things are gonna move easily, right? So imagine if I went to a barbell all loosey-goosey and didn't even think about bracing anything, I would probably fuck up my shit really easily compared to I'm gonna come up to this barbell, squeeze the crap out of the barbell, I'm gonna think of breaking the bar in half, 
externally rotating my wrist to engage my lats. I'm gonna corkscrew my feet into the ground. I'm gonna push my feet out to the side to engage my lateral stabilizers of my hip. I'm gonna brace my core. I'm gonna think of engaging my shoulders and hips and everything and then exhaling as hard as possible to the top and boom, that's the difference. In the powerlifting community, they will always tell you that no matter what the weight is on the bar, it could be 95 pounds, a you know, power lifter that can deadlift over 400 pounds will act like that 95 pound uh, barbell is 400 pounds, right? Every single rep has purpose and intensity. The moment we fall into these behaviors of like, oh, whatever, I'm gonna just go and do, go do it, terrible things happen, right? Most of the time, when you put all these coaching cues together, and I think I'm gonna repost that uh, deadlift seminar because it was gold. Um, yeah, like it's, it's, most of the time it's just the coaching. Now, there are times where you can be the best coach in the world, and sometimes you will hit some roadblocks. Now, let's imagine for a second, we don't have all the prerequisites, even after you got the best coaching in the world, and it's still not the greatest. The second thing I look at is depth on the deadlift. I find that almost 99% of people cannot deadlift off the floor. It doesn't mean they like physically can't, like they can, it's just bad shit happens when they do, without them knowing, right? A lot of times when I assess someone's hips to see if they have the necessary mobility and stability needed to generate a proper deadlift to execute it off the floor, they just don't have what it takes. And the biggest thing I see is people go into lumbar flexion at the bottom of the deadlift. Now, it can look like they're neutral with their spine, but if you can't physically feel or see their lumbar spine going to flexion, then you're kind of just hoping for the best. And when I do this, most of the time, people have to deadlift way above their um, you know, normal, right? So I look at how much mobility the hip socket does have. That gives me an idea of like, okay, how far your hips can go hinge back. And then I look at how much knee flexion is needed before you know, the rest of your body kind of collapses. Like you need those two things. Um, and a lot of times it's like, okay, well, one of your problems is that, you know, the depth of your bar. So if you look at the standard 45 pound plate that is, you know, measured across the world that everyone uses with a barbell in the center of it, it's about 8.7 inches off the ground. A lot of times when I measure people's depths, they're anywhere from like four to 12 inches from that height. So now imagine them forcing their body, their lumbar spine into this flexion-based exercise, and now you need to like drive this weight off the floor every single time you deadlift. Yeah, no shit, your low back's gonna hurt. But now let's elevate it six inches. Now you're within your depth of what anatomically you can do with the stability that you have. 
now good things happen. Now a lot of people will be like, oh, but it's not like a true deadlift, whatever. But if you are not competing in powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, it doesn't matter. If the, it depends on what your goal is. Majority of the time, the people I work with and probably the majority of people listening is that you wanna move and feel better, lift heavy shit, lose some fat, gain some muscle, and look awesome, perform awesome. So if that's the case, what's the difference between you know you deadlifting off the floor compared to like let's raise it by a couple plates on the floor and go from there? Nothing. Your nervous system doesn't understand the difference between, hey, I'm deadlifting, deadlifting off the floor compared to, hey, I put two 45-pound plates underneath the plates on my barbell. All your nervous system really truly understands is force and load. You can still load the barbell just like you would off the ground and still have a training effect. Like In my head, I'm like, fuck, then everyone should be doing that. Right, so a lot of times what I see in the general population is like, they go to these group classes, F45, whatever the fuck it is, and you know, they do the program that's laid out for them, barbell deadlifts are part of it, and they just assume that that's what they should be doing. And repeating that awful behavioral pattern, you eventually get an injury, you have to stop training for a little while, it maybe you might get better, then you come back, it happens again, and you have to take some more time off. And if you look at, say, a span of a training year, right, and you're on, off and on about training because you're doing stuff to your back that you have no business doing, you end up training less, burning less calories, gaining less strength, and taking yourself further and further and further away from your goals. Like this is why I always advocate to people like train pain-free all the fucking time. That will get you to your goal faster. Just because you see someone in the class pressing overhead and you're like, shit, I wanna do that too, doesn't mean you need to in order to reach your goals. You know, like I don't understand why people assume that, you know, exercise everyone can do. I, I mean, yes, everyone can do exercise, but specific exercises not everyone can do it's literally the same as like i can deadlift 300 pounds i would love to deadlift 500 but i don't have the necessary strength to get there right so it would be idiotic of me to be like well fuck it i'm gonna put 500 on the bar and do it that's not going to do anything in my favor People going to exercise classes and seeing that there's kettlebell snatches doesn't mean that, all right, I'm gonna do kettlebell snatches. Like, no, it's idiotic. You need to have the prerequisites before you get there. Now, I went on this huge rant on this deadlift thing, but this happens in so many other exercises. Now imagine you go into a class and maybe like three out of the 10 exercises there go against everything your body has and maybe at that time and moment, it doesn't do anything, but say three months down the road, you'll get the straw that breaks a camel's back and you're like, hey, why does the front of my shoulder hurt? Why does my left hip hurt? Why does my elbow hurt? Like these are the things that add up to less training days in the gym, less motivation, and more like, oh, I need to go to physio and Cairo and 
fuck and fix this shit. And then when you get better, you go back to doing the same shit and you don't see the progress and you end up quitting and you're like, fuck it, now I'm still 20 pounds overweight. Training pain-free and learning what your body's capable of is the key to success. I'm going to end it there because I feel like that was a good place to end it. If you guys have any more questions, feel free to reach out. Hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook and Instagram. I post a lot of video and photos of stuff related to fitness and health. So hit me up. Until next time, you guys. Yeah, let's, let's get this thing started because we got a lot of stuff to cover and I don't want to miss anything. So this is all coming from one of my seminars that I have put together with a chiropractor that I work with directly. And we've been seeing a lot of people in the clinic and in the gym who have trouble with, you know, main lifts and compound lifts like the deadlift and squat. And the number one thing I tell people all the time and my clients, my patients, whoever, is that your body is completely different from the person on the left and right of you in the gym. And whatever their squat and deadlift looks like should be 100% different the way that you squat and deadlift. So there is a lot to do with hip structure on the squat. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get into this is because when I posted my deadlift um, episode, I had a lot of people reach out to me and they mentioned that they were, you know, surprised that they didn't think of, you know, the prerequisites that I mentioned. And some people even reached out and asked if um, they could send me their deadlift for a form check. And I'm like, hell yes, yeah, send me your videos. I would love to see your deadlift and give you some feedback. Because, you know, the changes that I'm talking about when it comes to how your body's structured are small, minimal, but they go a really really long way when it comes to performance, getting stronger, and being pain-free. And I think the thing that people forget is that when you do these compound lifts, you want to be pain-free the entire time. Because down the road, when you start hitting plateaus, that's going to be your limiting factor. If you're constantly banged up from squatting and deadlifting, you're never going to see the numbers that you want. And you probably will get to a point of like no return and you develop such a bad habit of your form that it's going to be really difficult to get rid of in order to get through those plateaus. So this is where smart training comes into play, focusing on mobility exercises and things like that to be able to, you know, crush the bar essentially. So today we're going to go over the squat. and. This is again from my seminar and eventually I'm going to post the entire thing because we filmed the deadlift portion and we ran out of time so you know we I think it was 90 minutes long so I'm going to post that eventually and then we're doing the squat uh, portion later. Um, there's a couple things I want to get into with the squat in the beginning is that everyone just assumes that they should be barbell dead uh, barbell squatting right off the bat and just like the deadlift it's like do you have the prerequisites to actually get there you know one of the things that i bring up is you know to actually get into the rack position of a 
barbell back squat, like you need really good, healthy, mobile shoulders. So like that's kind of like the first layer that I look at where people um, should go to is check how the shoulders are moving. A lot of times with general population, you're sitting at a desk all day and those shoulders round into that internal rotation. And especially for guys who don't have a background in fitness or like looking at the research of um, what's happening to the human body when you're doing certain exercises, they fall into this category that, you know, when they grab the bar in that rack position, those shoulders are dropping forward because they're internally rotated and their elbows are flaring out like right behind them. And that position does not feel good because in the back squat, you actually want to think of grabbing the barbell and pulling down. And I'm going to get into that later to why. So when I assess a client, I check if they have adequate um, external internal rotation of their shoulders. I also check for lat length because that plays a huge role in back squatting. I also check, um, you know, hamstring flexibility and you know dynamic hamstring uh, hamstring flexibility actively because a lot of times when people squat you know the ones who have those so-called tight hamstrings like they'll look good coming down but on the way up it's like they shift their butt back and they almost turn the back squat into like a good morning and that's an indication that their hamstrings are aka tight and they need some work so there's a lot to it. Um, so like one of the easy drills that I do is a uh, face the wall squat with the hands um, above the head in an overhead position. So I get a client four inches away from the wall with the toes straight, which is on purpose to test their uh, hip mobility. And then I want them to squat as low as possible without their face or knees touching the walls. And really quickly, you'll see the true colors, as I call it, of how someone's squat will look like when you place the bar on their backs. And a lot of people can't pass this, but they just feel like they should be barbell back squatting, but they have no business being there. Now, on the flip side, you're allowed to back, back squat with the barbell. It's just you need to have the certain prerequisites, just like I said or you're just gonna be building strength over dysfunction and something's gonna implode in your body. The other thing I look at is if someone can actually extend their hips without using their low back or hamstrings. Like, do they have a good firing sequence where their glute activates first, then their hamstrings, then their QL? You know, all of these things matter when it comes to placing a heavy load on your back and you're hoping for the best. Um, so I'm gonna kind of move on and go through um, my notes here and my slides. And you know, the first thing I bring up is um, the anatomy of the hip because it is super, super important to understand that hip structure dictates how you squat and deadlift and lunge. Now, there's something called your joint capsule where the femoral head of your femur so remember the hip is a ball and socket joint and it should be able to move freely but 
if the you know joint cavity and capsule have some sort of restrictions in there and now that ball and socket um, structure is not going to move the way it's designed and it's going to find a different angle or a different point or worse yet it gets stuck and the joint can't move and it's just kind of like you're just jamming like a square peg in a round hole constantly constantly until something in that hip feels pinchy tight even sharp stabbing pain but people still back squat anyway and the hips just get worse so if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram I'm a huge huge advocate of the FRC and kin stretch anything that Dr. Andrew Spina spits out is where I start first when it comes to joint health you know there's an exercise called uh, hip cars that I constantly do and it's something that you should really check out so actually what I'm going to do is for anyone out there who has tight hips their hips just don't feel right and it's limiting them in their squat I'm going to put a link in the show notes of this episode of hip cars and the tutorial on how to do it and then I always tell people that you know this exercise is going to help you so much if you do it daily and also before your workouts so cars is an abbreviation for controlled articular rotations which basically is a fancy way of saying that we're going to move the joint in the direction it's designed to move in now the important thing to note is you know how I describe cars is almost like flossing your teeth in the beginning your gums are bleeding it sucks you hate doing it and you sometimes forget but you got to build a habit to it and the more you do it the better quality your teeth are gonna you know become so just like flossing cars is flossing for your joints the more you do it the better the integrity of your joint joint capsule will be because we're constantly sending good feedback and information to the joint which is directly related to your brain and nervous system and that uh, signal that's constantly sent to your brain and nervous system will improve the movement quality in that joint along with that we're sending synovial fluid nutrients blood flow to that area constantly so if you put two and two together those joints are going to move a lot better so when it comes to the squat let's look at the foundation first let's look at the structure of the hip how's it moving how's it designed because that's going to dictate how you're going to squat in the gym and that's where I kind of start um, with clients I kind of educate them I try to educate anyone who's been in powerlifting or wants to get into a heavy back squat position or, what, or whatever it may be now something important to note is also there's I believe I could be wrong on this four to six different types of pelvises out there so depending on where you're from where your DNA comes from your origins your hip structure is going to be different so an example is I'm Eastern European I can deep squat like nobody's business I can sit in a squat position nice and low get back up no pain whatsoever the North American hip people get stuck it's just they just can't do it and one of the examples is like in my slides I have a um, photo of these two different pelvises and on the left hand side it shows 
where the hip socket is, where the, you know, the ball and socket meet in the cavity, you know, the hip points forward and has a sharp angle pointing forward. And on the other pelvis that's right beside it, it shows how the hole, essentially, for the femur head to go into opens laterally and has a curved shape. So just with these two different types of pelvises that I show to my um, seminar, people are going to be like, holy shit, like this does matter. So think about that, like your pelvis is going to be completely different, right? If the two hips that I'm talking about, if one of them has a more, um, like one opens more laterally than the other, that's going to show up in the gym when you're squatting and placing your feet on the ground how you're gonna like maneuver your body going down and up in the squat so we have that so we have different types of pelvises where the you know where the socket is how it opens up either forward laterally however it's designed and now on top of that is that your left hip socket and right hip socket are designed completely different they're not exactly the same. And then on top of that, if you are a woman who gave birth, maybe your pelvis is out of alignment. Maybe as a guy or a woman, you're born with one leg shorter than the other. That's going to play a role. Maybe you're someone with a partial hip um, replacement or a full hip replacement, and then your other hip is somewhat okay. Now, that plays a whole nother role. Another thing that people don't think about is like, your length of your levers so for me i actually have sh a short femur in relation to my tibia and uh, fibula like those things matter so now to throw another thing into the equation is some of us have femurs that are twisted forward or backwards so in my slides i actually show an example of this where you know how the alignment of your femur and the hip joint dictates how you squat so having a more angled femur is something called an anti uh, anti-verted hip whereas a flattened angle gives us a retro verted hip and now the, the difference between those two is one's going to have more external rotation of the hip and the other one's going to have more internal rotation of the hip so already i'm adding to this list like it's it's getting crazy like you're probably listening, you're like, holy fuck, there's so many things that's happening to my hips, and what am I supposed to do? So I'm not going to throw another layer on top of this. So we also have connective tissue called fascia that are that's all over our body. And for majority of us, we sit on our ass all the fucking time. So that fascia that's connected all around us, around our hips, is going to create some tightness. It's going to create some neurological tone. It's going to really fuck shit up more than what you're dealing with with all the stuff that I um, mentioned earlier. So what we're going to have to do is figure out what's the best squatting position for you and what's the best approach. And maybe where you start off is actually taking a few steps back and then going back to the barbell back squat. So I can't give a full answer of what you should be doing because it's going to 
be different for every single person. But a few coaching cues that I give to people on the spot to see um, what would be the best um, squatting position for them is things like let's elevate your heels because you need adequate uh, dorsiflexion, which is another thing that I forgot to even mention is you need adequate ankle mobility to be able to back squat properly. That's why a lot of powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters have um, special shoes that raise the heel, right? So that's another thing that you have to consider is like, do I have enough ankle mobility to be able to squat down and allow my tib and fib to go forward in a certain angle in order to generate enough power to go straight up, right? So now with all these things kind of against you, we got to find the best position for you. So what I do is an assessment where I do some hip scouring. And this will give me a better idea where the person's hips like to fall into when it comes to um, a squatting pattern. And that's where I kind of start the person. That's where I start um, my kind of detective work. And a lot of times when it comes to form for squatting is a lot of like trial and error. So it's like, okay, I'm going to have my feet wider than hip width. Squat down. That doesn't feel that great. I feel pinching. I'm going to externally rotate my feet out by 20-ish degrees. Okay, that felt better. I'm going to elevate my heels. Okay, that felt better. My shoulders are super, super tight in this position. Maybe I'll go wider or more narrower. Or maybe I need to focus on mobility work in my squat before... I get into it. Maybe I have some neurological tone and tightness that I need to take care of in my warm-up with foam rolling and different soft tissue techniques and some sort of like cars exercise in order for my squat to feel good. And sometimes it's just a neurological thing. Maybe we need to kind of activate certain things. Let's activate your glutes, our core. Let's activate you know, grip strength. Let's create tension. Sometimes people don't even know how to create tension in their back squat. You know, like I was chatting with one of the members in uh, my gym that I train out of, and this guy is a beast. He is strong, and then he injured himself during the back squat. And when I took him out onto the gym floor, I'm like, okay, hey, let's see your back squat. And then I asked him, like, okay, hey, how do you create tension in your back squat? And he didn't know what that even meant. So just like your deadlift, you want to be able to brace. So that bracing strategy for a deadlift compared to a squat is completely different. And what I said earlier about pulling the bar down, a lot of people make the mistake of like, they just kind of hold on to the bar and don't do anything with it. When I coach clients and patients how to back squat, I want them to grip that bar as hard as possible and pull it down into their traps to think of them activating their lats like they're doing a wide ass pull up or a lat pull down exercise to create tensions through the lats to translate down into their pelvis to get those glutes going. A lot of people with shitty shoulders can't do that. That's going to hurt them. So to end this, I know I said a lot of stuff and I wish I could like just give a blanket statement of how you're supposed to squat, but it's really difficult if I can't see the person. So again, I'm going to leave this open. If you want to send me how your squat looks like, 100%, I would love to look at it and give you some pointers. And maybe it's like, you just need a good assessment to figure out what's the best strategy for you. 
you know, maybe you have like an inactive internal oblique on the left that's causing you not being able to create more tension and you have this weird weight shift. Maybe you even have a broken big toe injury from several years ago that's causing you not being able to create enough tension into the ground to drive through. There's so many things out there. Actually, another thing I'm gonna mention is pelvic, uh, pelvic uh, floor strength. If you're a woman who's had a couple kids, maybe even one, even a kid that, that's 13 years old right now, if you never retrained how your pelvic floor is supposed to function, that's gonna reflect in that back squat. So the way I, I explain tension in the deadlift and squat is I want your diaphragm that sits at the very bottom of your rib cage and then your pelvic floor that's at the very bottom of your lower abdomen. When you create sufficient um, tension, that lower piece of your pelvic floor and that upper piece of your diaphragm should come close together, creating this like cylinder effect of compressed pressure. And similar to, um, I give this analogy all the time, is like, you know, if you take a Coke can unopened and you put it on the ground and you step on it, because there's so much compressed air in there and it hasn't been opened, that thing's not crushing down and you weigh so much more but it's that compressive force that has tension in there that's keeping it tight. Now imagine opening up that Coke can, pouring out a little bit of the Coke, and now stepping on it, there's no tension. You're just gonna crush that thing. It's the same thing when it comes to proper core tension for these main lifts. So there's a lot of stuff to think about, and I can keep talking about this, but we're already 23 minutes in, and I don't wanna make this into like a full hour episode of just me rambling on about back squat technique. But if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out. Um, so today's topic, we're gonna to talk about um, the shoulder because outside of the low back being painful for most people, the shoulder is kind of that second area that most people come in with issues, at least in my clinic. And I, feel like it's such an easy fix to you know just do and you can start training pain-free and you know yes I want to bring this up like a hundred percent my show is about weight loss but you got to understand in order to have successful weight loss fat loss strength gain whatever it is you need to be able to show up to the gym without any aches and pains, especially if those aches and pains get to a point where you have to start taking time off from exercise because everything you do fucking hurts, right? Like people can't put two and two together. They think like, okay, I want to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym every day, do high intensity workouts. But all that volume built up over time is going to wreak havoc on your joints, even if you are one of those outliers that moves well and everything like that. If you keep beating the shit out of your body, your body's naturally going to stop by telling you, here's pain, stop. So with shoulder pain in general, there's a lot of things that you know you can get diagnosed with from your physiochiro when it comes to um, your shoulder. Um, for me, I look at the shoulder as one of those, mo like, because it's such a mobile joint, it has the ability to get fucked up a lot. 
And if you look at our society right now, how human beings are, we sit way too much and we are hunched over for far too long and if we don't do anything about it, our body likes to keep us there, shorn muscles, and now we are just dumped forward and we are just terrible. Um, that being said, I would say 99% of the time, people have immobile shoulders, which causes an instability at the shoulder, and then when they go to the gym, they start pressing overhead and doing dumb shit, and their joint is not centrated, and bad shit tends to happen afterward. The first step to learning how to use your shoulder if you're dealing with an ache and pain, number one, if there's pain present, go see a physical therapist or a chiropractor that specializes outside of the spine. Like, the amount of people that I will see in the clinic that have taken a year or two years of shoulder pain, back pain, hip pain, whatever, before they saw one of our practitioners is ridiculous. And at that point, it's like, holy shit, we have a lot of work to do. So the moment that you just like, you know, you've been working out consistently and out of nowhere, you're like, oh shit, my shoulder kind of hurts. Right there and then, fucking pick up your phone, call one of the clinics in your area and just go. That's step one. Don't like, oh, you know what? It's probably going to go away tomorrow. And that turns into, oh, it'll go away next week. And that's going to turn into, it'll go away next month. And boom, it's been a year and I haven't seen anyone. It hasn't gotten better. It's actually gone worse. And now I'm going to go see somebody. That's usually the worst situation to be in. Step two is figuring out the best, best, I can't even speak right now, the best um, shoulder pathway where your shoulder joint can be stable and do the exercise that is given to you. So an example of this is learning how to centrate your joint, meaning if you visualize your humerus, meaning your like arm bone, and the top of your humerus is the end uh, like that literally inserts and creates that glenohumeral joint in your shoulder. If I told you to pick up a heavy-ass dumbbell, like I'm like, okay, I want you to pick up with one arm the 100-pound dumbbell, you wouldn't be all loosey-goosey. You would like, all right, I'm going to like turn on my core. I'm going to brace. I'm going to squeeze that handle hard to make sure I don't fuck my shit up, right? You're centrating your body, meaning you're putting your joints in a position where you have the advantage to lift the weight off without hurting yourself. Now, when I coach people, for some reason, anytime people hold dumbbells that's not heavy enough, that's going to like kill their body, they tend to have a really loose grip. When you have a loose grip, the rest of your posture kind of just falls forward and dumps into that, I'm sitting on the couch kind of posture. When that happens, your shoulder is already getting like, I kind of imagine like there's a little like person inside your shoulder and it's just fucking like punching your shoulder every single time it's not in the right position. And over time it just tears the shit out of it. The moment you squeeze a object as tight as possible, it sends a signal with your nervous system that, hey, we have a heavy object 
let's get into a better position so we don't fuck ourselves over. So that shoulder ends up being centrated. It kind of goes into a position where it can take on more stress than at rest. So that's the first thing. Learning how to utilize your grip to kind of cheat your nervous system and thinking like, hey, we have something really, really heavy, let's get into a better position. The second equation to this is staying away from exercises that will further aggravate that shoulder. If your shoulder is in that typical posture that most people are in, and again, there are outliers, there's people that know how to cheat it, but for the most part, people have terrible posture. Um, the second pathway is to not do the exercises that trigger it. So things like overhead pressing, things like lateral raises, front raises, sometimes even side planks. Sometimes people's shoulders are so jacked up that getting into a side plank is not the best idea to do. So that being said, mo and I've said this multiple times on my podcast, most people should not be pressing overhead. Our bodies are so good at cheating movement that it will give you fake shoulder um, range of motion. So stay away from overhead pressing for at least like just four weeks. If I had to like put a time frame, like minimal time frame, just four weeks, guaranteed your shoulders are going to feel better. Another way of figuring out um, what the best angle your shoulders uh, work at is like the shoulder scour test. So just like the hip scour test that I do with a lot of patients to figure out um, hip quality and just overall this assessment of the hip, um, is if you imagine if you were sitting and you had a practitioner or even if yourself, like you can do a self-assessment. Again, it's not perfect, but it's something. So if I was in a seated position, and again, I want to be like in perfect posture, I want to have my shoulders centrated, pulled back, and like I'm like ready to do an exercise, that kind of position. I'm going to take, say, my left arm, and I'm going to keep it tight against my rib cage, and I'm going to start pushing my elbow back, and I'm going to, if I have a mirror in front of me, look at a point at what, you know, time and space when my shoulder starts spilling forward. The moment my shoulder starts spilling forward is where I want to stop. Like, that's going to be my range. For some people, if they have that hunched position and they start in a neutral position and they start pushing their elbow back, um, they might see that their shoulder pops forward right away. And then it's like, okay, well, you're going to yoga five days a week, four days a week, whatever it is, and you do a chaturanga push-up, which requires you to be of having your elbows super tight against the body. You are dumping your shoulders into an anterior load and you're just smashing shit over and over and over again, that's gonna hurt the shoulder. And then from there, like you go like say 10 degrees out a little bit, do the same motion, driving that elbow back. You'll maybe notice that your shoulders doesn't dump forward as much. Maybe you do another 10 degrees and you're at you know 20 degrees of shoulder abduction and you notice you can go a lot further. Now that's probably the best pressing angle for you because maybe you know, you do another 10 degrees, you're at 30 degrees right now, and you notice that your shoulder dumps a lot faster than all the other positions, and now you've found a pretty adequate representation of what your shoulder joint can do at this moment of time 
in your life and career at the gym. And then I tell people, that's where I want you to do your bench press, your push-ups, any pushing variation at that angle. And it tends to fix a lot of stuff because now if you're pressing at an angle where your joint is happy, you have now less wear and tear on that joint and voila, no more shoulder pain. The other um, connection to this too, if you have pain, sometimes going into shoulder abduction tends to trigger some painful patterns. So I tell people all the time, like when pain is present, your body remembers that pathway. What it's going to do is try to stop you from, you know, further aggravating it. So what's going to happen is it's going to stop you from getting into that position a lot sooner than usual. So that's why a lot of people end up with things like frozen shoulder because your nervous system will remember that painful pattern and it's like okay well anytime you put your shoulder into abduction past 30 degrees and then you start pressing with a dumbbell it hurts I'm gonna stop you before that to protect you right like our bodies are pretty smart but sometimes it doesn't you know give us the benefit of that intelligent design that we have within ourselves so these small things like there are such small little changes but for some reason, people don't take the time and effort to investigate this idea or this concept, and they end up um, causing wear and tear on that shoulder joint, and it never gets better. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And now, say for example, I took, and I've done this with patients. I'm like, okay, no more overhead pressing, no more lateral raises, no more um, fucking burpees where you're throwing yourself into, um, into shoulder, into like a poor position of the shoulder, no more chaturangas super narrow, and you know, show them a new pressing angle within their um, limit. And then I also show them um, exercises like shoulder cars and farmer carries to teach that shoulder to stabilize and give that centration effect. And like anytime I say stability, an easy way to remember what you're doing is you're giving a safety net around the shoulder. Every time I say stability, think of safety. It's a safety net around your joint. That's what the shoulder joint needs. It needs a safety net in order to lift, press, press overhead and all those things. But most people don't have that. So small little things like this add up over time and guaranteed when I had when I've had patients with shoulder pain and they follow my recommendations religiously, after six months, shoulders are pain-free. Pain-free. So that was a good rant. That was right. I was going to go all over the place with this thing and get super like jacked up. But if you want more information, check out my posts on Instagram and Facebook because I go into depth on these topics. And... If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy. You know, I've had a lot of people like message me and like, oh, my shoulder's all weird. What should I do? And I'm like, send me a video of you doing whatever you do that hurts your shoulder and I can help and figure out. So let me know. Um, hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook. Add me on Instagram so you can check that stuff out. Um, give me a five-star review. You guys are amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then next time, 